going to be looking this evening at a couple of passages from the Gospel of John. First is in John chapter 3. And I'll be reading the first 15 verses there. And then, uh, without pause, I'm going to go to chapter 4 and then read the first 15 verses there. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. 
Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. May God bless to us the hearing and understanding of his word. Sometimes I really appreciate the way sometimes scriptures order things and place things. A couple of just examples. Genesis 15. All right. Famous passage. God establishes his covenant with Abram. All right. We have this wonderful passage. Then Genesis 16. What do we have? Abram and Hagar. You go from great to what were you thinking, Abram? Moses. Exodus 2. Moses is somebody. He's a prince of Egypt. Exodus 3. He's a nobody. He's an exile, outlaw, taking care of sheep. 1 Samuel 16. Samuel goes to anoint one of Jesse's sons. He sees Eliab and says, oh, man, this guy looks like a king. And he says, no, he's not the one. Finally, they get David, the youngest, kind of the ruddy youth. Because what does it say there? God does not look on the, as man looks, he does not look on the external. So you have that in 1 Samuel 16. What do you have in 1 Samuel 17? The epitome of the external, Goliath. John chapter 3. What do we have? Nicodemus. The epitome of a devout religious leader. And then what do we have in John chapter 4? The Samaritan woman. So we're going to look at these profiles just a little bit, kind of, uh, and see perhaps what God is, is, is sharing with us when he puts these two passages right next to each other. So first, let's look at the profile of Nicodemus. An, an individual we really have a decent amount of information about. First, we know he's a Pharisee. So he would have been a respected person in his society, especially among the Jews. He um, was not only just a Pharisee, though, because we know, you know, there's the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was in the Pharisee side of things, but it also says he was a ruler of the Jews, which meant he was also a part of the Sanhedrin, which was part of the, the ruling body. So... He not only was a respected religious person, he had some influence. He was probably also very well educated. And we're not given explicitly what the reason is, but for some reason he decided to come see Jesus at night. So I'm just guessing in my speculation, I can't for this but the, he was a little bit cautious and discreet as well. 
There were some things he didn't want other people to know publicly. And that's why he came at night. But when he addresses Jesus, he addresses him as rabbi, which is a respectful title. So um, does he have some humility even there perhaps within him? Perhaps. But here we have this respected religious leader, a member of the Sanhedrin, coming at night, respectfully at least on the surface, curious about Jesus, certainly as, as his business was religion, he better know what's going on religiously uh, in, in his, uh, his area, right? So, so he's heard, seen, and perhaps has some curious, curiosity. And he goes to ask him, and as he should, he's a man who's interested in spiritual and religious things. But Jesus kind of catches him off guard with this whole you must be born again stuff. It's like, yeah, right, okay. I happen to be a little bit older, you know. Uh, I, I, I kind of know how this happens. person's been born once. We don't go back into the womb. And, and so, so, but Jesus then takes this educated, influential, respected man and does not speak really demeaning to him but points out very clearly to him, Nicodemus, I'm talking to you about spiritual things, and you're having trouble staying up with me. There's a problem here that needs to be addressed. Nicodemus, I'm sure, was no man's fool, but I think it's pointed out that he was lacking in some spiritual understanding and wisdom. So let's just park that profile right there. And now we go to the Samaritan woman. Notice first it says, and, and you could look at this in a couple of ways, that, that Jesus was leaving from where he was, going north to Galilee, and there was the section of land, Samaria, and it says he had to go through. Now, that was obviously, geographically, the shortest way, the quickest way. Many devout Jews would never walk through Samaria, though. The hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews was just that thick. And so many of them would walk around. So why it says Jesus had to, whether it was a timing thing or whether it was a, I am ready to teach my disciples a whole new thing. And I have to go there because I have an appointment with somebody there. Um, but he goes through, and we have the situation in the scenario set up where he, he goes into Samaria, and he's sitting down by the well. And again, you probably heard this. This, this, is, not, this is one of the most well-known passages in the New Testament, and, and these two characters between Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. Mentioned why were the Samaritans so hated? Well, how did they even get their name? And, and so during the times of exile, when many of the Jews were exiled uh, to Babylon, a lot of Jews remained behind. And a lot of these Jews, uh, one of the conquerors, the first when Israel was, was taken captive and deported the Assyrians, and this is what many nations did in those days, 
They developed an assimilation program, right? Anytime you hear that sort of phrase, be afraid and run, okay? An assimilation. So what, what the Assyrians did was bring a lot of people that they had conquered or some of their own people, brought them into the land, and all, I won't say they forced, but they encouraged intermarriage. This is how you develop people to be loyal to you. Uh, when you establish uh, your leadership and kingship and whatever. So a lot of Jews became culturally and religiously disloyal to being Jewish because they intermarried. And not only did they intermarry, they had their own version of the Pentateuch. They had their own temple at Mount Gerizim. They had their own version of Jewish history. And these were the people in, when, when Jews came back from exile that gave Nehemiah a lot of grief when he was trying to rebuild the wall. So, so we go back of, of, of bitter, bitterness going back hundreds of years. And so we have Jesus going right to know the heart of this land of the bitter enemies. And here he is at a well, and who does he meet but a woman. That's it. She has no name. Nicodemus has a name. He was respected. This woman doesn't have a name that we're given. She wasn't very respected. She not only in her society would have been more of a second-class citizen, but the implication is by the time of day that she went to the well, that she probably is, was one of questionable morals. In fact, in, later in the passage, the part that we did not read, Jesus calls her out and says, go get your husband. She's like, uh, uh, yeah, I don't have one. Oh, yeah, that's right. You've had five men and the man you're with now is not your husband either. So a woman of Samaria of questionable morals. But Jesus initiates the conversation with her. He could have just stayed off by the side, let her do her business. I'll wait for my disciples. They're going doing my business. When they come back, I'll have my drink and my food and everything will be good. But he engaged with her. And engaged with her on the topic that they were there, on water. And she began uh, being more and more curious as they go along. They have this discussion of need for living water, which intrigues her. I want this. And then she starts to to it says that to sense that he's a prophet. And that she of all peoples this is beautiful irony. A Samaritan woman, probably of no education, with a, a, a mixed hybrid of religion uh, that they had developed on their own, goes to talk to Jesus about theology. And it's like, well, you guys have this, 
uh, place where you worship, we have this. And so she tries to kind of catch Jesus off balance because I think she's maybe feeling a little bit off balance. And, and Jesus' reply to her was really kind of interesting. It's like, you know, you guys worship what you don't even really know about. In fact, he was kind of even saying to her, when you look at her life with the many different men, her lack of foundation with relig religious knowledge, or worship, but basically saying, Samaritan woman, your entire life is built upon a lie. So we have from the highly religious to the highly irreligious, from the affluent class to the lower rung in society, from the educated to the uneducated, from the seeker to, of Jesus to the person Jesus sought. And as different as they were, they had the same basic need, which was fundamentally spiritual. And what do we have in between our profile of Nicodemus and our profile of the Samaritan woman? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Later in the Gospels we're given indication that Nicodemus went on to believe in Jesus. We're also given indication that this Samaritan woman, because Jesus comes back through the area, and now these old people, that she went back to town to talk about this man that she had met. In Ephesians, we read this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you are at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, Samaritans, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace, to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near, Nicodemus. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
Christ Jesus being himself the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Probably, I don't know if there's any Nicodemuses in the room or Samaritan women. I bet most of us fall somewhere in between on that scale. But even if we were at the extremes, isn't it amazing that Jesus came and met each of them? Not only where they were culturally, but most of all where they were spiritually. And that because of his love, they are fellow heirs, citizens together. Can you imagine? Or can we just simply say, Lord, thank you for your mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we don't comprehend or understand the depths of your love. But Lord, when we experience the forgiveness of our sins and we taste the goodness of your salvation, Lord, we are humbled. And so, Lord, as you have seen so fit to not just, even though we are saved individually, Lord, you bring us corporately into your family. We thank you for those who we can share fellowship with. And Lord, we look to the day in which you, we will be with you in eternity as you gather people from every tribe, every tongue, coming to collect collectively to sing, Worthy is the Lamb, and to glorify and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.